0: I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody is having a great day. We got ourselves another jam packed episode of the Aaron Torres Pod. And I'm not going to lie, I got big Monday vibes talking on this show today. Let me explain why. Monday, we both celebrated the greatness of college football, what makes it one of the most entertaining sports on the planet, while also acknowledging that realignment is still going on. We're going to do the same thing today. We're going to open. The positive, glasses half full. Why is that? Well, first coaches poll came out earlier this week. And listen, I get that the polls ultimately don't mean anything, but it is still a sign that college sports are here. College football is coming. So we'll break down what we learned from the poll. Then we'll take a quick break and hit on two topics as it pertains to realignment. The ACC, they have talked to Stanford and Cal I'm not really worried about expansion with the ACC. I want to hear about what's next with Florida State and are they going to contract? And also, did you see what Greg Sankey had to say about the Big Ten expanding out west again? Some very interesting comments from the SEC Commission. Before we get started, two quick housekeeping notes. One, I will be off next week. Now, one, no need to panic. Everything's fine. I'm healthy. I'm good. This will be my last little getaway uh, before the start of football season, which basically means it's my last getaway probably until the end of March Madness and next year's College Hoops Transfer Portal in April or May. And so because of it, we will have some pre-recorded shows. I've done some college football content, preseason stuff. No need to worry. You'll still get episodes every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And oh, by the way, we will have a Friday episode this week reacting to whatever happens over the next couple of days. Should also mention, by the way, speaking of Friday, I got a little bit of a homework assignment for you prior to Friday's show. Earlier this week, the Johnny Manziel documentary came out on Netflix, okay? Just dropped earlier this week, et cetera. Why do I bring it up? It is because we are going to do a recap and a review of the Johnny Manziel documentary on Friday's show. Do the homework. Uh, watch the show. Obviously, I'll let you know so there's no spoilers. We'll let you know when we're going to talk about the, the Manziel doc. Oh, by the way, if you have thoughts on the documentary, you can always reach out at Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. Drop your thoughts. I'll share them on the show. Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. With that said, let's not waste any more time and let's get to the topic of the day and the topic of the day. Listen, bluntly, um, we're going to talk a little bit about the first coaches poll that dropped on Monday. And as I said, to lead the show, I get that ultimately in this era of college football polls really don't matter. We wait until early November, late October. The college football playoff committee releases its top 25. The coaches poll is just a thing that we do, just like the AP poll is something that we do. Um, and I get that it really ultimately has no meaning. At the same time, it is a sign that college football is on its way. And so what do we do in college football? We overreact to everything. And I'm going to give you about four or five reactions to the the coaches poll that dropped earlier this week. Before I get to those reactions, let me give you the quick top 10 this voted on by the coaches. Georgia, number one, with an overwhelming 61 first place votes. Michigan, number two. Alabama, number three. They got four first place votes. Ohio State, number four. They got one first place vote. LSU, five. USC, six. Penn State, seven. Florida State, eight. Clemson 9, Tennessee 10. First takeaway, I know we probably should have seen this coming. I am shocked to see Michigan at number two. Now, again, to be blunt, listen, we've already talked about Michigan a few times on this show in the lead up to the season. They are the Big Ten favorites. They should be the Big Ten favorites. I get that. Still, when you think about where this program was not that long ago, literally two years ago, They were coming off a two and four year in COVID in the COVID season. I just can't believe that we're here. And as I think about Michigan, two things come to mind in terms of this ranking at number two, overall one, even a year ago, even after they beat Ohio state. And even after they made the playoff, you go back to the first coaches poll in last year. And it's funny because you go back and look at that bad boy. um, You go back and look at that thing. And I bring it up because even last year, even after Ohio State had even after Michigan had beaten Ohio State the year before for the first time in 2021, coming into last year, there was still that whole, okay, Michigan, everything broke their way. We talked about it on Monday's show. Well, you know, it was snowing and the game was in Ann Arbor. And what does it really mean? Then they smacked everybody in the regular season last year. And so while I shouldn't be shocked, it is still shocking to see them at number one. The other quick takeaway on Michigan, got to give Harbaugh credit, obviously. But I'll say this. I don't ever really remember a story quite like Michigan. And what do I mean by that? It's that college football programs basically have one of two trajectories. You either take over a bad program and make it good, or really three trajectories. You either take over a bad program and make it good. You either take over a good program and make it bad or you take over a program and pretty much you, you sustain the level of success that they've had, right? So like even in the last one, there's good examples and there's bad examples. Dan Lanning, second-year coach at Oregon, took over a really good program and had it really good last year. Lincoln Riley took over a bad program, made it good, and we obviously know the situation. We, we know plenty of examples of programs that were good that turned bad. Why do I bring it up? I don't ever remember a story quite like Michigan remember Michigan when Jim Harbaugh took over immediately got really good went from five and seven the year before he got there to to 10 and three overall in year one 10 and three overall in year two then there was a little bit of a decline and then there was that two and four season in 2020 and then they completely flipped things around and go to -to back-to-back college football playoffs And so I can't ever, if you guys and girls have an example where you had the same coach took over a program, they were really good, then cratered, then went back up to like national championship contender. I don't really remember it, but what I will tell you is they are very much a national championship contender. I have my playoff pretty much set. We will discuss it in the future, but this team, listen, in a year where Georgia Alabama, Ohio State, pretty much all the major players are breaking in new quarterbacks. Michigan returns everybody. And listen, they might be good enough to actually win it all. My number two takeaway. Did you see who's ranked right behind Michigan at number three? It's the Alabama Crimson Tide. And listen, I know it's a poll and I know nobody really like takes big chances when they're they're voting, especially the coaches poll, which is essentially done by SIDs. But why I bring it up For all the consternation about Alabama, all the concern in the offseason, who's the quarterback? Two new coordinators. Everybody believes that they're right in that top tier of college football. And that right now, Georgia's the best program in the country. Michigan is rightly ranked really high off back-to-back Big Ten championships. But right behind them is Alabama. Isn't it funny how all this stuff works? We spent all offseason. Who's the quarterback? What's going to happen? Why were they so bad? They were so terrible at 11-2 last year. And what have I told you all offseason? I said, look, I'm not making excuses. And Nick Saban, I will say, I've gotten a little tired of his narrative. Oh, we lost our our two games by the on the final play of the game. You did. You also won a bunch of games on the final play of the game as well. But I just bring it up to say, isn't it funny? We spend so much time talking about Bama. Oh, it's all over. Dynasty's dead. It's ruined. They're number three in the first coaches poll. Let's keep it going. Another takeaway that I do have, the 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 ranking of the ACC schools is very interesting to me. So did you see who was ranked where? Florida State is the highest ranked school in the ACC. They came in ranked number eight. Clemson, right behind them, ranked number nine. Now, on the one hand, I get it. First off, Florida State—they're basically like the team of the summer. Like, eh, you know, this is what happens in the media, especially in football. You got such a long off season; everybody's gotta one up each other. Get oh my goodness, this team's that. And Florida State last year won ten games. And it was interesting because the offseason started like, Oh, they might be a top 10 team. They might be really good. They could be an interesting squad. And then the off season hype train started and it wasn't enough to just say they could compete for an ACC title. Oh my God. They might make the playoff. They might win a national championship. It's like, I get it. But I also think while there's so much excitement about Florida state, doesn't it feel like it's a little quiet on Clemson and remember, Clemson is the team that won the ACC last year. It's easy to forget, had a couple losses, didn't make the playoff. But remember, Clemson went undefeated in ACC play. They beat Florida State at Florida State. Remember, yes, they took three losses. All of them were out of conference at Notre Dame, South Carolina, and to Tennessee in the bowl game. And so I bring it up because now at Clemson, the defense is still going to be good. And I believe the quarterback play is going to be significantly better with DJ out with Cade Clubnick in. And then, oh, by the way, on top of that, remember, Clemson also brought in Garrett Riley, Lincoln Riley's brother, as their offensive coordinator. Never forget, this was the guy that everybody wanted in the offseason. He could have picked his job. It was kind of like, I've never watched The Bachelor, but it feels like the opposite. Somebody hands out roses. He basically had all the roses and he got to figure out who he's handing it to. Don't know if that analogy made sense, but I just bring it up to say improvement at quarterback, better play calling. And Oh, by the way, more talent than probably everybody else that they're playing. Also, it's worth noting they play Florida state at home. Keep an eye on Clemson. It feels like they're probably a little bit underrated coming into the year. A couple more thoughts. One. We talked about this on Monday show, so I don't want to spend a ton of time on this. Man, it sucks. The Pac-12, it just sucks with the Pac-12. Because what have I said the last two, three weeks as we've ramped up the college football talk? I've said the biggest bummer about all this Pac-12 off-the-field stuff is that on the field, they're going to be really good this year. Well, look at that co- coach's poll ranking. And I know the coaches poll doesn't mean anything, but USC ranked number six. Washington ranked number 11, Oregon ranked number 15, Oregon State ranked number 16, and I missed somebody there too. Oh, Utah ranked 14. So USC ranked number six. We have Washington 11, Utah 14, Oregon 15, Oregon State 18. That is five of the top 20 teams are in the Pac-12. For comparison's sake, there is – I guess 3 4 same as the Big 12. The Big 10 has basically the same if you take out the future Big 10 schools, they have 3. I'm just telling you man, 4 of the 5 of the top let me even backtrack. Pac 12, more top 20 schools than the Big 12 which has 4 and the uh and the Big 10 which has 3. It's a bummer, it's a reality. This is going to be a really good conference this year. I already talked about it. I'm not going to go through it again. But Caleb Williams at USC with an improved defense is interesting. Washington, again, has gotten a lot of buzz off an 11-win year. Oregon, I think, has a chance to be really good with Bo Nix in his second year in that program. Utah has a chance to always be good because of the way they play. And Oregon State, like I said on Monday show, they're America's team. Uh, you, you know, if you hate all this realignment stuff, root for Oregon State. Root for them to win the Pac-12, go to the playoff, embarrass the powers that be. Would be wild if they did, by the way, but it remains to be seen. Really quickly, one last kind of major takeaway, then I'll get to a few teams I think are overrated and underrated. Oklahoma to me at 19 is interesting. And it's funny because I was the guy on this show last year. I'm not going to hide from what I said. I said it'll never happen, but I think Oklahoma should consider moving off of Brent Venables after one year. Now, it never happened because of the money and because it would make Oklahoma look chaotic, but it was a disastrous six and seven year. And the problem was they had one of the worst defenses in the Big 12. And what I said at the time was their defense was worse than Lincoln Riley's final defense. And so you can't blame Lincoln Riley when it, when you're the defensive guru and the defense is worse under you. So why do I bring it up? Been critical of Brent Venables. I also think Oklahoma is kind of underrated going into this year. Okay. So I looked up their schedule from last year. This kind of blew me away. They had seven losses. As I said, I'm going to read you the, the totals that they lost by. They lost by seven to Kansas state. Now they did get beat up by TCU. They did get beat up by Texas. Then they lost by one to Baylor three to West Virginia, six in overtime to Texas tech, and three to Florida State in their bowl game. Go back and do the math on that. That is seven losses total, five by a touchdown or less, three by a field goal or less. And the only losses that they had that were ugly were against Can- uh, TCU and Texas, and both of those games, they were without their starting quarterback, Dylan Gabriel. And so when they had their starting quarterback, it was a, they either won, or it was a coin flip either way. Well, Dylan Gabriel is back and the defense, I mean, they added about 70 dudes in the portal. Like they weren't quite Deion Sanders, but they were just a little bit behind. And so if the defense is just incrementally better, I think this is an improved team. The offense should be good. As long as Dylan Gabriel could, should stay healthy. They also have a very good backup. Jackson Arnold, a five-star quarterback who will likely take over after this season. I'm just here to tell you I think Oklahoma actually might be a little bit underrated. Speaking of underrated, let's go through overrated and underrated in this poll according to me and my thoughts. Let's do a few overrateds first. LSU I think is overrated. I've talked to I've talked about it. I love Brian Kelly, but listen. This is a team that if again, I've said it a million times, if Jaden Daniels The pass to Mason Taylor to beat Alabama last year. If that gets tipped at the line of scrimmage, are we talking about LSU in the same way? They won on the final play in overtime against Alabama at home. Now they got to go to Tuscaloosa. They got to play Florida State in week one. I think it's like four out of their first six games are on the road, or or I should say they're not at LSU because Florida State is technically a neutral game. Not saying LSU can't compete for a title. I just don't know that they have the depth. I think think the hype, hype is a little bit much. Number 10, Tennessee. I'll be blunt. Listen, I, I love what Josh Heupel has done. And I will say, I do think it comes down to Joe Millen. We've talked about it on this show. Are you going to get Orange Bowl Joe Milton, where he completed about 65% of his passes, two touchdowns, no interceptions? Or are you going to get the guy that's like a 56, 57% completion percentage guy throughout his career? It all comes down to that. Otherwise, they return most of their skill position, guys, outside of Jalen Hyatt. They return Brew McCoy. They return Squirrel White. They return a bunch of their running backs. And the defense was actually pretty good last year. Statistically, it didn't look great, but basically all their points they gave up were either to Alabama or to South Carolina. It was very good against Clemson, very good against um, whoever, Kentucky. I'm just trying to remember who they even played. Uh, very good against LSU, by the way. And so I just bring it up to say, I'm not saying Tennessee is necessarily overrated. I just couldn't vote him that high with Joe Milton 11 Washington. I I don't, I I mean, I'm just not a huge, huge, huge fan credit to them. Um, But listen, they, they had a couple breaks last year. I think the big thing most notably is Michael Penix, their quarterback. He's another guy. Now he came from Indiana Calen DeBoer, the current head coach at Washington, was his offensive coordinator for one year there, and he was really good. Then Kalen DeBoer left, and I bring it up because after that, Michael Penix fell off a cliff. It's kind of like a mini Joe Milton thing. Michael Penix last year was like a 70% completion percentage guy, but he was like a 56% completion percentage guy his final two years at, at Indiana. Is he going to be that good again two years in a row? I'm not sure. Washington's schedule is was really tough. Texas at 12. Listen, I've talked about Texas. Steve Sarkeesian's never won more than eight games in the regular season in his career. Quinn Ewers completed like 56% of his passes last year. I've said it a million times. I think everybody watched that first half against Alabama when Quinn Ewers was balling and missed every other game that he played where he wasn't that good. So I'm selling a little bit on Texas. Um, and then really outside of that, you know, I don't love Ole Miss, but they're a French top 25 team. That is what; Those are the teams that I would say are overrated. LSU, I'd probably have in like the 8 to 12 range. Uh, Tennessee, I'm a little worried about. Washington and Texas. Let's get to a few underrated teams, in my opinion. The first one, going through this list of teams. Listen, I, I just made the argument for Clemson. I don't think people are giving them enough credit. I think everybody's just ready to move on to the next thing. We do this in sports sometimes. Everybody wants the next cool thing. Pushing aside what what you know push like, it's like Alabama LSU everybody's pushing aside Alabama to make way for LSU it's like Alabama's gonna have something to say about that uh, so I think Clemson's a little bit underrated I'll tell you I think Wisconsin in year one under Luke Fickle has a chance to be really 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 good remember Luke Fickle has brought Phil Longo with him uh, Phil Longo was the offensive coordinator at um, at UNC obviously worked with Drake May a year ago. Wisconsin is going to look a lot different. They're going to throw the ball all over the field. They'll still run the ball, but I think they're probably better than people realize. Keep this one circled on your calendar. They play Ohio state at home on Halloween weekend. It's already a night game. That one should be awesome. And then two teams that are unranked that I would personally have ranked Kentucky receive some votes. I've said all spring. I personally, and people get mad when I say this, uh, I thought Will Levis was a little bit, I I wasn't as high on Kentucky coming into last year because I thought Will Levis was a little bit underrated, overrated, excuse me. Now, Rich Scagnarello, the offensive coordinator did not help, but this year, Liam Cohen's back. And I think their quarterback, Devin Leary is actually underrated this year. And the other thing, and I've said it a million times, don't tell me that Will Levis didn't have NFL talent at wide receiver. Barry and Brown is a dog. He's going to be in the NFL. Dane key is going to be in the NFL. They're young guys. They were true freshmen last year, but they are NFL caliber wide receivers. Bring it up because better quarterback play, better offensive line this year, always a top 20 defense under Mark Stoops. I think Kentucky is the second best team in the East. And then I also think UCLA should have been ranked. I, I do like UCLA. Big question with them is Dante Moore, the five-star, is he going to replace Dorian Thompson Robinson at quarterback? But all the other pieces are there. Did very well in the portal at running back. Added a, a one of the top 10 rushers in college football, Carson Steele from the MAC. Uh, added a couple nice wide receivers, including a, a freshman All-American out of Cal. So UCLA and Kentucky are the two teams that I would have ranked. Also think Wisconsin and Clemson are probably a little bit underrated. And as I said, I think probably LSU, Tennessee, Texas, Washington, a little bit overrated. All right, so what i I want to do? Take a quick break. When I come back, we're going to switch gears. I want to talk about the next wave of realignment because, did you see, the ACC has had a few calls with and Stanford. Eh, I don't think that's really going to work out. We'll explain why. Also, Greg Sankey, he had some words for the Big Ten. We'll explain those. That's next. All right, we're going to get back to the show in a minute. But before we do, I want to welcome back our presenting sponsor, Betfred Sportsbook and the Betfred Sportsbook app. By now... You know Betfred's story started in 1967 in the U.K., over a 1,000 shops in the U.K., and they have now come to the United States and made a major splash. They are the presenting sponsor of not only all things Aaron Torres Media, but the Colorado Rockies, the Denver Broncos, the Cincinnati Bengals. And what I love about Betfred, nobody takes care of their customers quite like Betfred does. I've been telling you that for a year. We have sent listeners of the Aaron Torres Pod to Denver Broncos VIP tailgates. The Betfred suite at Cincinnati Bengals games is rocking. Betfred bettors have thrown out first pitch at the Colorado Rockies games. Nobody takes care of their customers quite like Betfred, and here is what they are doing for you right now. How about this? Bet $50 on any game. Get up to $1,111 in free bets. Here's how it works. Download the Betfred Sportsbook app. Bet $50 on anything you want to bet on you automatically get $111 in free bets. But beyond that, you get up to $200 in insurance for your first five weeks as a Betfred customer, totaling $1,111 in free bets. I've told you for a year, nobody takes care of their customers quite like Betfred. They're the only book that I bet with, and I want to thank Betfred for being our presenting sponsor. RWA. I am back, going to be back, going to be back. I do want to switch gears. And so let me be blunt about something, right? The game plan when I prepare these shows is not every single day to talk realign. We did it basically every episode last week. Obviously, on Monday, we talked a little bit about the future of the Pac-4. But the problem is, and yes, I said Pac-4, the four remaining schools in the Pac-12 after this year. The problem though in saying I'm not going to talk about stuff or promising that I won't is that new stuff keeps happening. And so the latest twist and realignment that we do at least have to discuss here in passing to to you know towards the back end of the show it involves uh the ACC and two schools that were left behind. I am of course talking about rumors this week that the ACC has been in touch with Cal and Stanford. Yes, you've heard me correctly. Yes, you did hear me correctly. Past tense, future tense, whatever. A conference that is called the Atlantic Coast Conference is starting conversations with two schools that are 3,000 miles from Boston, Syracuse, uh, Tallahassee, Miami, wherever. And so we got to at least discuss this. It is lovely, but I'll just be blunt. I think we're actually talking about the wrong thing with the ACC. The interesting thing with the ACC to me is not really expansion. It's actually if there's going to be contraction at some point. So let's discuss and let's converse it. As far as the Cal Stanford stuff is concerned, listen, a couple of things. I don't blame anybody for doing anything, right? Obviously it's a strength in numbers game and the ACC, they're just trying to figure out how to survive. It is very well known that some of the schools, specifically Florida state won out. And so the ACC is trying to figure out, is there something we can do to strengthen ourselves to keep the existing schools in the conference happy? And then, oh, by the way, at the start of next year, remember, the Big Ten will be at 18 schools, the Big 12 will be at 16 schools, and the SEC will be at 16 schools. So the ACC, which has had 15 teams forever, 14 teams plus Notre Dame, or is it 15 with Notre Dame? I can't even remember. Who really cares about Boston College and Georgia Tech anyway? anyway? The point I'm trying to make, sorry, Boston College and Georgia Tech fans, if you were offended, but the point I'm trying to make, I don't blame the ACC for at least looking into this. Um, I do think there's probably an element of interest similar to the Big Ten last week in that my guess is that the school presidents probably like the idea of rubbing elbows with whoever's in charge of Stanford and whoever's in charge of Cal, but bluntly, I just don't see it happen. And the reason I don't see it happening is very obvious. It is because if we learned anything in this latest round of realignment, and we can start with Texas and Oklahoma back two years ago when they decided to go to the SEC, what we learned in realignment this year, and this cycle, I should say, is pretty straightforward. I get there are certain conferences that are trying to survive, but for the most part, at the top of the sport, there's only one thing that matters in terms of realignment. It isn't academic prestige. If it was, Stanford and Cal wouldn't have been left out. It isn't geography. I've said it before. Stop with the, well, they can get into this market and the Bay Area and this and that and the other. One, I've been in the Bay Area. They they don't care about Cal sports. I, I can promise you that. Two, like the market doesn't matter. That, that's the point I'm trying to get to. And so if anything. You know how I know that the TV networks aren't interested in Cal and Stanford and that fundamentally they're not going to change anything with the current existing ACC TV contract? It's because if anybody wanted Cal and Stanford, they would have taken them a year ago or at the very least the last week when everybody else was getting invites everywhere else. So they have no value. And so because of it, to me, It again comes back down to what I said to lead the segment. To me, the conversation on the ACC that is interesting is not, are they going to expand teams? By the way, I saw Ross Dellinger say they've had exploratory calls with SMU. The interesting thing is not if they're going to expand at all. The interesting thing to me is, are they going to lose schools and how quickly? Now, some would say like, Torres, where does that come from? We've talked about it before on this show. I think it's pretty common knowledge if you follow this stuff on a day-in, day-out basis. But the bottom line is the ACC, like, it's sort of hanging on by a thread, but it's sort of not, right? Because it is clear that schools want out. Remember, about probably six weeks ago, we found out that seven schools in the ACC have had calls to try and figure out, can we get out of this TV contract that runs through 2036? The seven schools, Virginia, Virginia Tech, North Carolina, NC State, Florida State, Miami, and Clemson. So they're trying to get out. But over the last couple weeks, it has been clear how desperately Florida State wants out of this league. Remember, with Florida State, they have said publicly, we're trying to get out. If you saw the report last week, they have reached out to a venture capital firm to try and raise money to pay their buyout, which is well over a hundred million dollars. Listen, I'm not saying that in a year or two, it's going to be the Florida state Seminoles presented by the Saudi tourism Bureau. But I can't promise that it's not going to be that anyway, because Florida state wants out. And so to me, I don't like the, like the Cal and Stanford thing is just, it's, it's wind. It's, it's painting, whatever it's window dressing on whatever putting Lip, pip, what do they say? Lipstick on a pig. It's like building a, 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 you know, a porch over a sinkhole. It's like, I don't care about the furniture on the porch. That sinkhole is going to suck the whole thing down anyway. I don't, I don't really care about Stanford and Cal to the ACC. Why? So in three years, the ACC can break up anyway. That's the conversation that we need to be having. What, What is Florida State's next move and how soon does it happen and what does it mean for everybody else? And really, as I close this segment, that is ultimately my thought about this whole thing. My thought about this process, it's not on Cal and Stanford, certainly not on SMU. It's not even on Florida State and Clemson, because when this league breaks up, Florida State and Clemson are going to have a home. North Carolina and Virginia are going to have a home. But I think in the near future, like everybody's throwing this pity party sob thing For Oregon State, Washington State, Cal and Stanford, and we should. I feel bad for those fans. Oregon State is coming off a 10-win season and they don't have a home right now, okay? Washington State is doing as well as they can. They don't have a home right now. But if you think this is the last time that schools get squeezed out, think again. Because again, whenever that next round of realignment happens, if it's a year, if it's five years, if it's 10 years, if it's not till 2036 when this ACC TV deal expires, Others are going to get squeezed out because, again, what we've learned is brand is the only thing that matters. And so bluntly, if I was Boston College right now, I'd be pretty nervous. If I was Pitt right now, I'd be pretty nervous. If I was Syracuse right now, I'd be pretty nervous. If I was Wake Forest right now, Georgia Tech right now, I'd be pretty nervous. And I know what some of you say. Wake Forest, they've been good in football. They've been good in basketball. Yeah but they're not a huge brand. They don't move the needle on TV. And remember, loyalty means nothing in this era of college sports. Oregon left Oregon State behind. Washington left Washington State behind. Uh, Oklahoma left Oklahoma State behind a week ago. And so, or a year ago, excuse me. And so because of it, don't sell me on loyalty. Don't sell me on geography. Don't sell me on, oh, there's no, no. If the ACC breaks up, there are more Stanfords and Cals coming. Stanford and Cal might be joining a sinking ship. And so, because of it, I think it is a very interesting time again for the Boston Colleges, the Georgia Techs, the Wake Forest, the Pitts, the Syracuses, the programs that frankly haven't had much success in the ACC. Matter of fact, it was interesting. I was talking to a buddy of mine, uh, kind of around college sports the other day. And I said to him, I said, you know what I would do if I was like, like, say Boston College called me up and said, Torres. What do we have to do to survive till the next time? First of all, I'd say you're kind of screwed. Sorry, it's the truth. Um, But if I was Boston College, if I was Georgia Tech, if I was Wake Forest, you know what I would do? I would spend like there is no tomorrow because bluntly there might not be for your athletic department, okay? And like, so there is no reason to hold back. Right now what you need to do, if you are one of those schools, You need to go ahead and best position yourself going forward so that whenever the next round of realignment comes, the next round of expansion, the next round of contraction, if you will, maybe even, that you are viable and interesting to the TV networks and to other conferences. Now, ultimately, it might not save you. But at this point, I would be pumping every dollar I have into NIL. Every dollar I have into getting the best coach. If the guy that I have I know isn't the guy, fire him. Pay whatever buyout. Pay whatever it costs to get the best person that you possibly can. Because in the end, there's no tomorrow. And so if you spend a bunch of money, who cares? Because in five years, you might not be making any money. You might not have a place to go. You might be Oregon State or Washington State. No disrespect intended. That could be going from twenty million a year in the Pac-12 to 4 or $5 million a year in the Mountain West. And so I don't mean to belittle, I don't mean to begrudge, but if I was one of those schools, that's what I would be doing. And I mentioned this on the the show on on Monday. Like my understanding with, with Cal, Cal was actually starting to finally pump money into their athletics department, including hiring Mark Madsen as its basketball coach, basically hoping that they were in an advantageous position once the next round of realignment came. Unfortunately for them, it was too late for the Boston colleges, for the wakes, for the pits. There is still time. But like I said, if I was them, I would spend like there is no tomorrow because bluntly for those schools, there might not be. All right. Finally, before we get out of here, there is one last interesting little, I guess you could call it a realignment story. Um, And and again, I don't want to spend all this time talking about realignment. But stuff keeps coming up, and something interesting did happen on Tuesday afternoon as our old buddy Greg Sankey, commissioner of the SEC. He's been a little tight-lipped, a little quiet about this whole process, but he made an appearance on Paul Feinbaum's show. From what I'm told, it was such an intense conversation. It went three segments, which in radio, I can tell you as a radio host, You have to have a darn compelling guest to keep him for three segments because that's probably 35 to 40 minutes of live radio. And so you know it was juicy when Greg Sankey showed up to talk about the Big Ten, the Big 12 expanding, and essentially killing the Pac-12 as we knew it. So what did Greg Sankey say? What did he have to say about all this? He watched from a distance. Here are some of the things that Greg Sankey said uh, and some of it was like good old Greg Sankey poking the big 10. And some of it I just thought was totally like made me scratch my head. First of all, um, you know, he, he, he did say about expanding and about kind of the concept of the pac 12 or the big 10, excuse me, ranging from Oregon and Seattle down to LA. And of course, all the way East to Piscataway, New Jersey, where Rutgers is Greg Sankey did say something interesting. He, he made me laugh. He said, we have this contiguous group. We don't need to be in four time zones to generate interest on the West Coast. Um, And bluntly, like, I will say like that part, I actually agree with the SEC. While obviously like they did expand and they did start off all of this, um, like at the same time, what I will say in defense of Greg Sankey is he's absolutely right, is that one, at least the expansion sort of made sense geographically. Texas is already in the SEC with the you know Texas already has a presence in the SEC with Texas A and M. Uh, obviously, Oklahoma borders Texas. So you look at the geography of it. Obviously Oklahoma previously had played in a league with Missouri. Texas and Texas A and M were longtime league rivals. So Greg Sankey is right. At least it didn't make a little sense geographically uh, to go ahead and expand beyond that. He also kind of talked about kind of the future of things. And he talked about the expansion of the college football playoff or not, not expansion, excuse me, but how they planned on kind of seeding teams and things of that nature. Remember going into, um, you know, going into this, this, uh, the, the 12 team playoff, there will be six at large bids, but there will also be six automatic bids that go to the six highest league highest ranked league champions tripping over my own words here to finish the show. Um, And so basically there's been a lot of conversation of, are they going to restructure how they do the college football playoff? When they had six automatic bids into the college football playoff, a lot of it was based on there being five power, five conferences, right? Five power, five conferences, one non-power five would get an automatic bid, depending on who was the highest rated conference champion and everybody would be happy. Greg Sankey said, "From there, it remains to be seen, but how many FBS program conferences will exist in 30 or 60 days? Particularly as we head into next season, if you want to lengthen that time frame, in terms of him basically saying we're going to pump the brakes, but we probably will reevaluate the college football uh, playoff as we know it because this sport is forever changing." Finally, though, let me say this: is that I, I did think that Greg Sankey. He got on a little bit of a high horse about all of this expansion stuff over the uh, over the course of that interview. I saw a quote that was shared from Paul Feinbaum's Twitter account, which I don't think he runs, but that's neither here nor there, where he basically said um, that it wasn't a great feeling, that it wasn't a great feeling to see basically the Pac-12 ripped to shreds when... Oregon and Washington followed USC and UCLA to the big 10. And then of course, Arizona, Arizona state and Utah went to the big 12. Here's my thought on that. And before I get to it, let me be clear. I like Greg Sankey. Okay. One, I think he is one of the shrewdest business people in college sports Two, I like that. He's kind of the, like, he is the face of college sports. COVID taught him and taught us, that he is the most powerful person in college sports. And ever since COVID, he has acted like it. He obviously made the Texas Oklahoma move, but beyond that, I just love how he frankly held college sports together during COVID. Okay. Remember the NCAA, that was when Mark Emmert was in charge. The NCAA, Mark Emmert sitting in his ivory tower. he's staying out of it. You guys do what you want. I'm not going to have anything to do with it. And Greg Sankey was the one that really led the charge to make sure that we at least tried to play college football. Now, nobody knew if we could or we couldn't. But remember, it was Greg Sankey that pushed. They joined the Big 12 and the ACC, as well as a couple group of five conferences, and they pushed forward while the Big 10 and the back 12 cowered under you know cowered in the corner and refused to play. So I will forever be thankful for Greg Sankey for playing the 2020 college football season, because without him, I don't think it gets played. At the same time, let me say this. Spare me the indignity, Greg Sankey, about all this, oh, it's a bad feeling to see the Pac-12 get ripped to shreds. Here's why that's just an absurd statement from Greg Sankey. One, this all started with Texas and Oklahoma. Now, to be clear, I'm not blaming Greg Sankey for taking Texas and Oklahoma, just like I don't blame the Big Ten for taking who they took or the Big 12 for taking who they took. I especially don't blame Greg Sankey because the bottom line with Texas and Oklahoma was that they wanted out of the big 12, specifically Texas. And that if the sec didn't take them, somebody probably would have, they probably would have gone to the big 10 next, or they would have gone to wherever. And so I don't blame him for taking them, but spare me the, you know, this is not good for college sports. No, we all know it's not good for college sports, but it all started with you. And by the way, even if you kind of took them because they would have gone somewhere else. Never forget how Greg Sankey did it. Remember, he was in meetings with the Big 12 commissioner, Bob Bowlesby, talking about college football expansion and uh, college football playoff expansion, all while he was negotiating with Bob Bowlesby's two most important properties, Texas and Oklahoma, all while Bob Bowlesby was trying to negotiate a TV deal for the Big 12. So spare me the, you know, it's, I just, it's it's so sad. Of course it's sad, but this whole thing started because you stabbed Bob Bowlesby in the back. Two, the other reason I don't have very much sympathy for Greg Sankey, and I don't really, I, the, the comments are kind of eh, in my opinion, is because let's be blunt about Greg Sankey. If Greg Sankey and the SEC, at some point, and we just talked about it, those ACC schools are going to become available, okay? And you think Greg Sankey's going to sit on his high horse and say, oh, we can't break up the ACC? Or do you think he's going to say, you know what? Florida State and Clemson add a ton of value to this league. North Carolina and Virginia add a ton of value to this league. Maybe all four of them add a ton of value to this league. Maybe Florida State doesn't make sense for us because we already have Florida and Clemson doesn't make sense because we already have South Carolina, but we'll still take North Carolina and Virginia. We'll still take this school and that school. And so that's the part that kind of gets me. Listen, I, I like Greg Sankey. I think he's really good at what he does, but spare me the whole, this is a dark day for college sports. Yeah, it is for us, but this all started because the sec began this process with Texas and Oklahoma. And also never forget, by the way, Greg Sankey, as he should be, I guess, is loyal to making the most possible money for his schools because Texas A&M did not want Texas in the league. And he kind of boxed them out of that conversation as well. Like Greg Sankey, I didn't think that that was necessarily his finest moment as the bi- as the SEC commissioner. All right. I think that's it for this episode of the Aaron Torres sports podcast. It is time for me to get out of here. If you're not subscribed to the show, please make sure to do so. Apple, Spotify, Amazon music, Google music, wherever listen a podcast, make sure that you are subscribed. Also make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead. Give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter. At Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram. Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. Make sure you subscribe to the College Football Betting YouTube page or the the College Football Betting show and YouTube page in addition to the Aaron Torres Pod. Uh, And also, remember your homework assignment. Watch the Johnny Manziel documentary. We're going to be talking about it on Thursday's show. That's all for today's show. It is time for me to get out of here. Shout-out to Torque. Shout-out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout-out to JJ Reddick. You F Unblock me, bro. I'll be back on Friday. New episode. Aaron Torres, Sports Podcast.